Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 122. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Milad Momaini. Hi there. So today, we're going to be talking about how we show respect. And that may sound broad, but we are going to apply a framework. And as is true with other topics on this show, we won't cover everything in this conversation and may at some point return to this idea in future episodes. I'd like to start by asking you how you would define respect and telling the audience that one reason I wanted to discuss this with you, Malad, is because I consider you to be a very respectful person. Well, first off, I'd like to say thank you, Kip, for having me on your show. I've been an avid follower for the past year or so, and you've provided some pretty informative material. And with regards to your question, I mean, there are a myriad of ways one can define respect and a variety of degrees of respect. But I think one simple way of putting it is an expression of admiration, anyways, an expression of love. Oftentimes people, when the word respect is brought up, they usually think of some sort of institutional authority something that is above them that they have to respect in order to abide by whatever system they're in. Think of a student and his or her relationship with a teacher or us civilians and our relationship with uh, police officers or college students and our relationship with administration. And that relationship can be strained at times. At times it can be quite hostile, but regardless, there is still a component of respect involved in that. That's interesting, especially when you bring up authority figures, because when I was thinking in preparation for this episode, I thought about how respect, in my opinion, is something that is voluntary. And when it's something that an authority figure either demands or implicitly requires of you, I don't know that I would call that respect, although I respect your opinion to describe it in that way. For me, respect is the idea that you recognize the wants or the needs or the role of someone or something else. And so, When you respect nature, let's say, you respect the environment, you understand that it functions in a certain way and you can disrupt or enable certain processes or also be neutral and let those processes occur. And I've often thought that respect can be a very neutral process, that you simply step back and allow other things to act as they will. Because if you were to interfere, I think there's often the implication that you know what's best. And I think that can be a very disrespectful thought. Before we get into the framework we've discussed, what do you think about that idea? Well, with regards to the first part of your question, you're completely right. As I said earlier on, there are various forms of respect. And if you do bring in power relations into that concept of respect, it does get a little more complicated and nuanced. And I think with regards to the second part, respect is as long as being an expression of one's admiration for somebody else, it's also an expression of one's agency and one's sort of willingness to interact with whether that's another animate individual, another animal environment, or another system of social codes. That's the individual's sort of willingness to go out into the world and abide by certain rules, not because they feel that there is some sort of authority figure telling them to, but they feel that by showing admiration, showing agency, showing a willingness to interact and fully realize themselves in some ways, then in the end, something better will come of them. Now, to begin discussing ideas about how we show respect in somewhat of a top-down model, how do you think we show respect to the environment, to inanimate objects, the world we live in? And I would say these things are classified as that which cannot show us respect in return. They cannot reciprocate this very human idea. You bring up a very good point, Kip. And 
I do think, especially in Western society, we have this idea of respect as being tangled up with reciprocity. And when it comes to something like the environment, I think that we have this tendency to regard what the earth produces as resources for us. It is something that we can use for our own benefit and for our own betterment, but we fail to understand that these aren't commodities. These aren't items or things that we should be using in an exploitive manner. And I think the environmental crisis that we're encountering today is largely due to the neglect and disrespect that we're showing towards our environment. And that has created problems, not only in an environmental sense, but also in an economic sense, also in a political sense. And that has really strained our idea of what humans are supposed to be. Today, we're living very much in an international society. Everything's interconnected. One can purchase something quite easily on their phone or their computer with a quick click. And obviously, this doesn't apply to all individuals. But the fact that the ability to gain resources, the ability to gain what we want has become so convenient for many people has sort of facilitated this neglect for our environment. And it is quite an unfortunate event. I absolutely agree. And when you first brought up this international system there, my mind immediately went to the idea that as people, we no longer need to be near or present when certain resources are harvested and certain environmental disrespect, at least in our perspective, is being expressed by humanity. And I think about trees that are harvested thousands of miles from where the lumber is used. I think about screensavers on people's computers, photographs of very distant landscapes that you may never have visited. And I don't know that that's actively disrespectful in the way that most people might think of disrespect, but I think it allows us to mentally separate ourselves from the reality of that environment. We see pictures of things or hear news stories about deforestation in jungles or other environmental problems. And because we are so detached, because our world allows us to be, I think we are in an almost passive way disrespectful to the environment, to our environment as people. What do you think about that? Well, I think a large part of what you're talking about is something that has plagued Western civilization for the past half millennia, possibly even longer than that. There are different understandings of the environment, how we should treat the environment and various other cultures, and that's something we'll probably address in a bit. But I think the root of the problem is that our metaphysical understanding of the universe is very much rooted in science and technology. And unfortunately, that has forced us or that has facilitated this neglect of the trees that surround us, the grass that's beneath us, the oceans that we can see for miles on end. And what I hope is that in due time, technology and science will be used not to harness the power of the earth and its resources and natural resources, but to work in a complementary fashion alongside it. I have similar hopes, and I'm often very encouraged when I see new stories pop up on Facebook of young scientists, often people our age or various scientists, coming up with new ideas to reduce pollution or remove pollutants altogether or to substitute certain natural resources for synthetic ones which may be less destructive to the environment. Now, we've also talked about people. To narrow the focus of the conversation a little bit, I'd like to know what you think about, as I imagine it's a bit more complex, when you show other people respect. How do you go about doing it? Do you show respect for different people in different ways, or do you have a more uniform model? Well, as we've sort of been talking about throughout this conversation, there are various forms of respect, and there are various ways of expressing that respect. 
And I think a significant part of how you show respect is your physical gestures, your body languages, how you compose yourself. So I've had the good fortune to travel around to various countries. I went to India for a good amount of time. And one of the more customary greetings is the hands clasped together like this and a simple bow and a namaste to compliment it. And this gesture, this motion is used to indicate a submission of one's pride, one's ego. One expresses humility in the presence of others, regardless of age, when one conducts a namaste greeting. And you see this across the Arab world as well, with the simple greeting of assalamu alaikum, and then the response, wa alaikum salam. Obviously, that's more of a sort of verbal gesture, but that is just as important as a physical gesture. And for those who don't know, what does that signify, or how might you translate? Assalamu alaikum is a common greeting, and it means peace be with you. And the response to it, wa alaikum salam, means and peace be with you. This is a customary greeting that's used not only across the Islamic world, but in a variety of circumstances and conditions. You'll go to a market and you will say this phrase. You will go to your grandmother's house and you will say this phrase. Regardless of the formality of the situation, this is how you express respect. I think in America, we do have similar ways of doing that. A handshake, for example, or with a friend of yours, maybe a pat on the back or a hug. These are signs of admiration, but they're also signs of respect. I really like that, and I'm going to come back to it. I also really appreciate in your mentioning of namaste, the idea of submission and humility, because again, in a Western context, I think pride is a very important value, and it's one that I'm often bothered by, because in having pride for yourself, I think there's the inherent belief that you are therefore better than other people. And I feel that, by definition, flies in the face of respect for other people. Now, regarding certain formalities or expressions of respect in the West, I was really intrigued as I was thinking of all the things you pointed out because I'd like to think that I'm a respectful person, but I know that I have very strong aversions for tradition. And if I had to try and explain that simply, because it probably is a very complex psychological phenomenon, I suppose it's because I feel I'm going through the motions and I'm saying, Hi, how are you? Yes, let me shake your hand. All right, have a nice day. And I may not have that bored tone, but internally I feel that level of energy because I see everyone around me doing similar things. And maybe that's a pessimistic view. Perhaps we are all equally respectful and asking how are you and all saying very similar things. But to me, there's something so mindless about it that feels very disingenuous. Again, that is against my definition of what it means to be respectful. If you are respectful in my mind, you are mindful and aware of other people's thoughts, feelings, wants, and needs. And so I suppose I would question to what extent certain traditions can be respectful, but I also think, poorly phrased, that could be a very simplistic viewpoint. What do you think? Well, I think you bring up many valid points, Kip, and the notion of respect is very much tied up with ideas of happiness. And to go back to what I mentioned about India, in Asian cultures, the idea of happiness is very much related to what good you provide for your community, how you provide for your family, how you provide for your friends, how you provide for the sick. Oftentimes, I find that that runs counter to many notions of happiness that we encounter in the West. Growing up in New York City, I was very much exposed to a cutthroat competitive lifestyle whether that was in a school setting or on the streets of New York City, I got the impression that I was getting in the way of other people. And I think that's because the idea of happiness 
is success, is very much material success, and material success with the hope that that will lead to some sort of spiritual comfort. And considering respect, happiness, and material success are so wound up together, it makes it difficult for one to develop self-respect. When you're always on the move, when you're always in motion, you're not giving yourself the time to cultivate self-respect and to develop a greater understanding of who you are rather than what you do. And I'm wondering if how you respect your environment and how you respect other people is in any way related to how you respect yourself. I think that's a really good question. And I'm reminded of the quote unquote golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So I think in large part, it is all related because we only have our own experiences to go off of and we don't know necessarily what other people are thinking or feeling. And especially with the original example of the environment, there's really no way to know what a tree is feeling or what grass is feeling beyond certain physiological signs of those organisms and especially inanimate objects that do not contain life. It might be difficult for some to know how to respect those objects or spaces And I do think the respect we put out in the world is the same as the respect we think we should show inward to ourselves. And I don't know that I can articulate that any better, but I know that when I try to show the people I love respect or my mentors and teachers respect for the knowledge they've shared with me, it's often related to how I wish I were respected if I were in their shoes. That brings us to the idea of self-respect, which I'd like to start off by saying that I think it is a third form of showing respect with the other two, at least as we've defined them, being to other people and to the environment. And I think this might be the trickiest and most narrow because the self, depending on who you ask, is a very small factor of our universe or infinitely large. Everything that I can think and feel and see is everything that's out there in the universe. So some might argue the universe is contained within the self and therefore the self is the greatest thing. And I think that's a Western conflict that the self, I would argue, is indeed great, but not greater than everything outside of the self. And it's tied to everything outside of the self, but it's hard to convince some people of that. And I think there are many forms of self-disrespect, not being kind to one's body, not being supportive of one's ideas or feelings and saying, well, other people's ideas are more important than mine. They're smarter than me or better than me. And self-disrespect is something I see all too often, both in myself and in people around me. And it's especially troubling when I look at people around me that I have a great level of respect for and see them harming themselves in some way or disrespecting themselves because there's an injustice there, at least as far as I perceive. And I recognize that I'm very subjective. But I also think our definition of self-respect has become twisted by a lot of factors around us, specifically referring to our generation and others who are on social media. I think self-respect has taken on an entirely new and I would say false definition. I think there are people out there, myself included, who look at the number of likes they get on Facebook and that determines how they feel about themselves. And I think that's all backwards because you have every right to share your life and your feelings with other people, but you should do so because you believe it's something worth sharing and valuable. And it's hard to tell people not to care what other people think of you, but it really bothers me when I see someone make a funny joke or say something that is really profound and they judge themselves because it didn't get a lot of likes, which is entirely subjective and based on one, who saw that post, and two, who took the time to like it and click a button. And it's so convoluted to me, and I admit that I'm also subject to those feelings, but as a brief tangent to social media, 
Do you think it's had a negative effect or one of overcomplication on how we respect ourselves? I think it very much has had an impact on how we value ourselves, how we respect ourselves. And I do think most of its effects have been in a negative manner, largely because it takes away from the time we usually have to reflect on ourselves and to just sit down and be still, but still have that sense of awareness. I feel like nowadays, I almost feel uncomfortable being alone. I almost feel purposeless in some ways without a computer or a phone right before me. I feel this constant need to be connected. And I think that's largely due to the fact that I don't give myself the time of day to reflect and to respect my abilities and to examine not only my flaws, but also my successes. And I think that's where our generation has taken a nasty turn. We've sort of forgotten that being bored or being alone is very much a necessary part of life. There is no need to be constantly in the presence of others in a virtual manner. I agree. And I'm so glad that you bring up loneliness because as I've gotten older, it's something I notice more and more. And I think it's inherently related to self-respect and what you've described about the discomfort with being alone and the fear on some level of being bored or alone with oneself. And I think that if you were to give loneliness a motto or a phrase, it's I'm not good enough by myself and I need to be with other people or connected with other people. And I think that's a means of disrespecting oneself because like you said, you deserve time to reflect not only on your successes and failures, but to feel some of your feelings alone, to think some of your thoughts alone. And that time is crucial in building oneself up. You need time to decompress. You need that variety in life. And I think in a society, Western or American society that I'm referring to, which rewards and applauds extroverted behavior, those who maybe do have more self-respect and don't demand as much attention in public are criticized and in some cases ostracized. So those who might have self-respect are disrespected by a society that has a very different conception of pride and self-respect. And I find that very curious because that mob of people might be made up of those who have not yet found self-respect. And so they target those who might have done exactly that, which I think is a very relatable human tactic. We're often envious of those who have accomplished or enjoyed what we have not, because why should they have a different experience, one that is better than our own? We struggle to justify that in our minds. And I think the curious thing about that, of disrespecting people who do take time to themselves to reflect, is that you can do just that. You can be like them. They don't need any special equipment or wealth to reflect and to self-respect. But there are so many distractions in our society and things that at times prohibit us from taking time alone. Even if you don't have a phone or a computer near you, we're often thinking about when we will next use that technology to connect with other people but I don't want to solely focus on social media. I'd be curious to know if there are other areas of our lives where you think self-respect is especially important or fundamental. Well, I think the reason why so many introverts are ostracized is because the state of education, at least in America today, is very much downplaying and taking away resources for children that would allow them to explore parts of themselves that they normally wouldn't be able to explore in the classroom. I'm talking specifically about, you know, the cutting of recess and physical education and and many art classes and even nap time to some extent. They can sit down and play in many ways. And I think that's a fundamental concept that has sort of been lost in the state of education in America today. Children are always 
in action nowadays. And it's not just children, it extends all the way through your life. I think children today are taught that if they're not doing something active, then they're purposeless. They're not part of the communal whole. They're not part of this well-oiled machine. And I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that, but I would like to hear what you have to say. I absolutely do. I think children have an inherent sense of self-respect. I think that's why they're often so free in the way they play and express themselves and interact with their peers. Children will befriend other people far more quickly than anyone I know, especially adults. And I think that's because they know on a lot of levels what they need. You don't have to teach a child how to eat or drink, for example. You might have to teach them table manners, but they can get nutrients for themselves because they have that self-understanding. And similarly, in a social sense, I think that discipline and shaming of children in various scenarios, whether people feel it's justified or not, is based upon ideas of self-respect because you attack that child's sense of self-respect and say, well, you're not respecting yourself if you're being lazy right now or you're taking a nap because you could be doing something else. You could be doing something better with your time. And I'm reminded of professional environments, let's say a factory where people are criticized for quote unquote wasting their time. And those criticisms are based in one's identity of self-respect. And well, if you don't respect yourself enough to work hard for my factory, why should I employ you? Why should I continue to pay you? And I think on many levels, whether that employer is correct or not, that's a very backwards way to talk about self-respect because you can't tell me what I do or do not respect about myself that doesn't really make any sense. And maybe you value me as an employable resource, but the fact that we tell children or anyone really how to respect themselves is in many ways very backwards and problematic because it should come from within. You can't tell someone what they are or who they are. That's something they have to define for themselves. And I'd like to know if you think human beings have an inherent sense of self-respect that is maybe altered or corrupted or perhaps torn apart as they grow older and enter adulthood? I think as we get older, we lose this drive to play and to be very much in the moment and not worry about gradually developing towards a certain stage or having a certain goal in mind. We're always worried about what happens next. We're never actually experiencing things in the moment. And that's something that's extended to how offices run nowadays, something that's extended to how schools operate nowadays. And as those ideas extend into the workplace and education, we learn to compartmentalize certain attributes of ourselves. We sort of separate our internal features. We put it into different boxes. We say, that's part of me. That's a different part of me. And in doing so, we lose a more wholesome understanding of ourselves. And that really disrupts our sense of self-respect. And I think as a child, you don't really have that mentality. As a child, you're growing up, you're learning different things, you're being exposed to the universe and all its wondrous creations. You're making sense of the universe. You're trying to understand it so that you can verbalize your feelings about it. But as your responsibilities increase, as your workload increases, you slowly start to forget what it felt like to just play and to be very much in the moment of things. Your mentality becomes I'm going to do this so that I can do something else or so that I can become something else or so that I can get something else rather than I'm going to do this and in doing so, this will provide a sense of fulfillment, a sense of admiration to myself, an expression of my agency. And in that sense, I will find that peace, that small measure of peace that many of us seek but often never really find. 
I agree with you. I do think it's a rather unfortunate process that for many of us does take place. But before we close this episode, what are some things you would like the audience to think about regarding respect and how we show it to those around us after listening to this conversation? Well, hopefully throughout the podcast, we have raised some questions. Don't think we've answered many questions, but that's sort of the point. On a final note, I think some things that the audience should consider how they conduct themselves on a daily basis with regards to the choices they make, with regards to their sense of awareness. And I'm reminded of David Foster Wallace's commencement speech at Kenyon College in the early 2000s. He talks a great deal about if we start noticing the nuances of life, if we just open our eyes a little more and start to appreciate the smaller things in life, then maybe in that sense, we can actually not only show respect for others, but gain a sense of self-respect and internal respect. So I guess the question I have for the audience is, how does one go about doing that? How does one go about becoming more aware about the subtleties of life, things that we usually wouldn't think about, but maybe we should in order to cultivate a greater sense of empathy for others and understanding of ourselves? I'm right there with you. And to answer in a proactive sense, I think self-respect involves, as we've said, taking time for oneself, allowing oneself to feel, think, and exist in a very authentic state. Even if that means being alone, I don't think that's the worst thing. And I worry that our culture often insinuates that it's a terrible loss or tragedy to be alone when I think, as Malad and I have discussed, various forms of respect, self-respect may require that you be alone. And that's really what I would like the audience to think about as well, that we live in such a hyperactive society where things are constantly happening and we're constantly connected. And we are also asked to devote ourselves to various causes and groups and other people and organizations, which is not a bad thing. But please, to those of you listening, make sure that you take time for yourself, even if it's a little bit of time every day to show self-respect, whatever that means to you, because it can be a rather amorphous thing. But something I think, if you are true in your self-respect and you have a high amount of it for yourself, that will help you to respect other people, to respect your environment, because you'll have a better understanding of what it means on a very crucial level. And Malad, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on. I know it was a very nuanced subject to discuss, but it was really great to have you. It was a pleasure, Kip. Thank you so much. And if any of the audience members out there have any questions for us at any point or have any answers for us, please let us know because we're curious about these matters just as much as you are. And that's precisely what I have left to say, because as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. We are only two voices of many, and we would, as Malad said, love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, opinions, input, or comments of really any kind, we truly do want to hear from you. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook, where if you like our page, you'll receive weekly updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as reviewing the show and sharing it with someone else you think might also enjoy this conversation. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.